What is up, guys? Welcome to the East First West podcast, or I should say, welcome back to the East First West podcast. My name is Jake Schwanitz. Usually, I've got a co-host, my man Johnny Rich. He is not here today. Don't know if I've been listening to too much Colin Cowherd and Ryan Rosillo, but we're going to give this solo show thing a try. Been a long time between episodes. Sorry for the silence, guys. Um, it's been crazy. A lot of life stuffs happened. A lot of football stuffs happened. A lot of professional stuffs happened, but. Thought I'd get on here. It's been a huge day in sports. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, first, just to explain kind of what's been going on. Originally, when I moved out here, we thought, Johnny and I thought we'd be able to handle our workloads as well as this podcast and get episodes out at least once or twice a week. Not been the case. Uh, Johnny's been busy. I've been busy. Obviously, I've been working at Sports Info Solutions again. Uh, I've been writing some articles for Inside the Pylon. Uh, hopefully, you guys have checked those out. Also, we got a couple projects going on at uh, Sports Info Solutions. Can't quite open up about those yet. I just know we have some stuff going on. It's kind of been what's consuming my time here. Um, But interesting day today. Figured I'd get some content out. Johnny's been busy also. My man's been working in Manhattan at the NFL headquarters, uh, doing some fine work there. Also been helping out the Western Connecticut Colonels get off to their blistering 8-0 start. Huge win on Saturday over the Fitchburg State, looks like Falcons, 33-12. to Johnny's been helping out there as a defensive assistant, working in the secondary with those guys. Um, they are off to 8-0 start, obviously, like I said. Last week they had a huge win, 50-48 to in four overtimes over Bridgewater State. So we'll hope that Johnny and those guys keep on going here and try to make their postseason. So we're back. Um, it's been a big day for football college football and NFL. Not very often that Tuesdays are big football days, but today's kind of out of the ordinary. Had the trade deadline earlier today at 4 o'clock. A lot of movement, a lot of movement before the trade deadline last week. We'll get to all that. Um, I also wanted to get to the college football rankings. Uh, Been a big weekend in college football last weekend was. uh, We saw some of the fall from that tonight. We'll take a look at the championship picture and also take a peek at the Heisman Trophy standings. And we'll try to wrap it up here, get a short one in. To the NFL trades. The big one for me, obviously, is Demarius Thomas. My Denver Broncos decided to part ways with the wide receiver after nine seasons. Jesus, nine seasons in the orange and blue. It's because of Cortland Sutton, obviously. Uh, second round draft pick in April. Kind of came on all of a sudden in training camp, making these huge plays. Um, this was expected by many, though. Cortland Sutton was a dynamic playmaker at SMU last year, uh, throughout his career there, actually. And I think a lot of people were surprised how far he's uh, slipped in the draft. I was, for sure, and I was thrilled to see my Denver Broncos pick them up. Um, so the reasoning behind the DT trade really stems from that. Cortland Sutton's come on. He's had big catches in plenty of games. He had a really great grab last week against the Chiefs. Had a diving catch uh, two weeks ago into the Cardinals that Emmanuel threw to him. Um, he's been making big plays all year, so they're going to feature him more, which is exciting, but it comes with a price, losing one of the best Broncos in the modern era, Demarius Thomas. So the Broncos get a fourth-round pick. Um, obviously, the pick wasn't the motive. It does kind of alleviate the sting a bit. Still, DT was one of my personal favorite Broncos since we drafted him. Um 
it's crazy. He was the longest tenured Bronco up till today. Um, no idea who would that be now. I mean, it might be Vaughn, which, man, that's even more wild that all these guys are already coming up and already getting into their later stages of their career. Let's look at it from the Houston Texans side of things, though. A big win on thir- last Thursday night um, over the Dolphins. Will Fuller ends up tearing his ACL in that game, though, and that is obviously the motivation behind their reasoning for the trade. You're down a wide receiver, not only a wide receiver, you're wide receiver two, so you feel the need there. But I also think you feel the need with a more complete player. Demarius Thomas is a very complete receiver. Uh, he can route run. He does not quite have the juice that he used to have, meaning that he's not quite as quick, um, not quite as elusive. But he's still Demarius Thomas. He does have the case of the drops. But alongside a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, I think this really is a perfect situation, not just for the Texans, but for Demarius Thomas. He's got a quarterback that can get him the ball now, something that he hasn't had since about early 2015. Um, when the Broncos were in their Super Bowl run, crazy it's been so long that they couldn't find a quarterback. But now he just goes to a team that has one already in place. His quarterback issues are fixed. Good for him. Good for the Texans. Um, 5-0 and out of nowhere. Had that rough start start off the season. A lot of people had them winning the division. Didn't really look good early in the season, but it's looking good now. Back in first place. Their first game after the trade, though? in Denver against the Broncos. Kind of weird. I can't remember a player being traded and then having to play his old team that very same week. Not really sure. Obviously, this is not common in the NFL. And I don't know if it's happened very recently. It's just a strange situation. Um, I mean, you kind of have to do it this time, though, because the trade deadline is on Tuesday. So it is unfortunate timing for both parties. But it had to be done. I don't think Demarius Thomas was going to be on this team at the end of the season. He had a $14 million cap hit for 2019. That obviously was not going to happen, whether it was a restructure or they just flat-out cut him. I don't know if he would have been a Bronco uh, next year. A lot of changes are coming with that organization. Uh, we'll get to that. I'll get to that eventually. i got to talk about the Broncos, but we got to get through these trades first. Move on to the next one, though. Golden Tate. This was probably the biggest one of the day. Um Broke by the Golden Tate himself. Just dropped on Twitter. It's been real, Detroit. I'll love you forever. Philly, Philly, let's get it. And the madness ensued from there. A bit kind of uh, polar opposites on this trade for me, though. Um, Love it from the Philadelphia perspective. Lions, I'm kind of confused. Uh, We'll start off with the Lions. You just lost to Seattle on Saturday. A game that many were thinking you could win. They lose it 28-14 to at home. Really kind of an ugly loss. They were dominated all game. But you're at 3-4. and four. You are in last place in your division, but you're 3-4 and four where the division leader is one game ahead of you. Giving up on your season at 3-4 and four is just something that, I don't know, it's a tough sell to the fans. It's a tough sell to the other guys in that locker room, to your quarterback, to the head coach you just hired. Um, it's just a puzzling move in a way. They, the Lions do have a tougher schedule coming up. Um, they obviously play a bunch of teams, all the teams in their division. I think they've got the Bears twice coming up. They do. They got the Bears twice coming up. They got the Vikings coming up. They got the Panthers coming up. They got the Rams coming up. And they got the Packers to end the year. So obviously the schedule is going to get a bit harder for them. So I, But to, to trade the guy at this point, did you really not believe in your team to get through this stretch? If so... 
then why were you happy with this team in September? Why were you happy with this team to throw out in week one? Doesn't make sense to me. You could have gotten a lot more for Golden Tate before the season started if you weren't planning on keeping him. Uh, he is a free agent next year, which is something that now Philly will have to think of it. We'll shift sides here. Philadelphia gives up a third-round pick for Golden Tate. I actually really like this move from Philadelphia's perspective. Um, Philadelphia was a team looking for a running back. They had Jay Jai go down a few weeks ago with that ACL, but they were looking for a running back before that. You obviously heard the Le'Veon Bell rumors. You heard the potential uh, Shady McCoy reunion rumors too. None of those happened, and you don't get a running back, but I still think you get a player that really helps you out. Golden Tate actually has been used in the backfield in Detroit, um, been used to run the ball, but it's not his use in the run game. It's just his dynamic playmaking ability in the pass game. It's kind of like extension, an extension of the run game. Um, we used to call them extended handoffs back in the day. But that's what Golden Tate does. He's a running back on the perimeter. He's a guy that you can throw these screens, these slants, these flat routes, these swing routes, these kind of behind the line of scrimmage or within a couple yard plays. He's a guy that can catch the ball and make defenders miss and do good for your football team. With Carson Wentz coming back completely healthy too, I think this is a great uh, mesh between them. Um, Tate will be really be able to help out Wentz, I think, underneath. Um, he's also got some sneaky speed, could potentially help you take the top off. They don't really have a deep threat. I guess that's your Aguilar. But still, receiving core with Aguilar, Tate, and Jeffrey now. Not really the scariest, but that's one of the better receiving cores in the league. I think this will make Philadelphia better. Philadelphia is off to a slow start. They are in second place in their division to the Washington Redskins. That's a surprising 5-2. and two. We'll get to them next. But we'll stay in Philadelphia for a second here. I do like the trade. Um, you know, you think of Doug Peterson. He's an Andy Reid guy. Uh, you watch Andy Reid's offense. A lot of verticality, but also a lot of horizontal. Uh, they just like to get the, the, the defense moving. So you're going to see those screens um, that have been run in Philadelphia and Kansas City. And Golden Tate's the perfect guy for that. He's not really Tyreek Hill, but he is better in some areas than Tyreek Hill. Um, obviously, he doesn't have the speed and the elusiveness, but he's a much better runner after the catch, I think. Um, in terms of toughness and just elusiveness, um, not really in short space. I guess in short spaces. Just not in, he's not a distance guy, obviously. But he's someone that can move the chains for you, like we talked about, that extension of the run game. I think that's going to pay off for Philly down the line. Next trade we'll get to HaHa ha Clinton Dix, uh, the Packers safety, traded to the Redskins. Um, I don't understand this trade for Green Bay. It does not make sense to me. You just held the best offense to the, in the league to a hard-fought, tough game on the road where they scored only 29 points. The offense only scored 27. The, the Rams had a safety that game. So your defense finally coming on here. The secondaries looked better after you got rid of some pieces a couple years ago. You drafted two young guys this year. And now you trade your secondaries leader. I, I just do not understand. I can't imagine how Aaron Rodgers feels right now. That's someone I would love to hear from right now about this trade. It does not seem... Like Green Bay's front office is in the same, they, they just don't understand the situation in the best way, I don't think. Aaron Rodgers is not an old quarterback, but he is in his 30s. He's not getting any younger. you got to build around this guy, and you got to try and get this last ship if you think you're going to get into the big dance. 
you're not going to win a Super Bowl trading away your best players, which is what something that they've been doing. No, not, not trading, but getting rid of them. I mean, you cut Jordy. Uh, you get rid of the the Cleveland cornerback. Can't forget or can't remember his name right now. And now you get rid of HaHa Clinton Dix at the trade deadline after you just had a tough loss, and you're only three three and one in your division. You can still win. You're still obviously in playoff play. Just doesn't really make sense to me. On the other side, though, Washington really like the aggressiveness of this move. You're sitting at a surprise five and two, I think, to most people atop the NFC East. You're ahead of the Super Bowl champions by two games. You're getting a renaissance flashback 2010 year from Adrian Peterson, who is looking unbelievable. Alex Smith is Alex Smith. Nothing to really get excited about there. But the defense has really played at an elevated level, I think. Especially the secondary. Secondary was someone I kind of called out earlier in the year in our secondary episode, uh, talking about potential worst secondaries in the league. And they've been surprising, surprising me at least. Um, And now you add Clinton Dix to this team. Only getting better in the back end. Washington's only getting better all around. This team might be here to stay now. Another big trade today. Dante Fowler. Traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars to Los Angeles Rams. Um, Los Angeles giving up a couple picks. I think it was, uh, here it is, a 2019 third round pick and a 2020 fifth round pick. Interesting trade here. This was someone I thought would be moved around the trade deadline because of his deal and situation in Jacksonville. Um, Hasn't really panned out as they thought he would initially. Taken third overall in the, oh my gosh, 2014 draft now. So he will be a free agent next year. Jacksonville wasn't going to pay this guy. And Dante Fowler is going to get a lot of money on the open market. I think people are going to be surprised by this. I think he's going to get at least around 10 to $12 million a year. He's going to be paid kind of like a premium defensive player, even though he's really only kind of a, a role pass rusher. Lucky for the Rams, that's what they need. They've been missing pass rush. They have the two beasts in the middle in Sue and Donald. Now you get a guy that can kind of play on the edge and give you some more pressure. This is a great move for the Rams. I mean, they're obviously all in on this year. Another move that shows that and another move that reinforces that they are going to try and win this whole thing this year. We'll see if they re-sign him, but for this year, love the move. Another player that got traded today, not as big as all the other names, but uh, fairly interesting. We already talked about Green Bay and L.A., the crazy game against the Rams and Packers last weekend. And the player that lost the game for the Packers, Ty Montgomery, traded to the Baltimore Ravens. A very interesting trade because of the situation last week against the Rams. But because of the player that he is, and I think he might actually be able to help out the Ravens. Um, The Ravens were looking for running back help, I guess. Um, They do kind of have a subpar running back room. While they did ramp up the receiving room this year and finally got Joe Flacco some weapons that he could throw to in Crabtree and Brown, now you get another dynamic player that you can split out wide. You can put him in the backfield. Just another matchup um, mismatch. So I like the trade on the Ravens' side of things. Your season is kind of not going the way that you originally planned now with the three straight losses. But maybe Montgomery can provide a spark to get them back on track. Also, a couple other trades that have happened that uh, I think we got to get to. Amari Cooper going to the Dallas Cowboys for the first-round pick last week. i completely blown away by this trade. Uh, Not really by the player, but the compensation. Getting a first-round pick. For Amari Cooper is pretty amazing. 
you could have gotten a lot better players, I think, for a first-round pick. Um, not really sure what the Jones, Jerry Jones, is thinking there. Um, who really knows at this point? This guy's kind of been off his rocker for a while. I don't know if he just kind of said, screw it, let's just get a right receiver, let's get this done. Because I look at this team, and I don't really see them as a win-now team, and this seems like a win-now move. Um, you're sitting at 3-4 three and four in the NFC East. you got to deal with the Redskins, who are red-hot right now, and the defending champion Eagles. Do you really? This move just does not make sense in that scheme of things. You're going to give up your first-round pick now for a receiver that you're going to have to resign, so he may not stay. And he's also really not that good. At least I think so. Um, he kind of came on hot in the scene a couple years ago when he was drafted. The past season and a half, though, Amari Cooper's really just been stinking it up, man. A lot of drops just flat out disappearing in games. Um, it's crazy to see that this player is the player the Cowboys picked and they gave up the first round pick. Shifting gears a bit, um, we already talked about the uh, Lions trading away Golden Tate. Another player that they received last week, though, was Snacks Harrison. Um, Kind of a surprise move from the Giants, given his contract situation, but I guess they're just completely tearing it down, trying to get as much as they can for the players they have in terms of draft compensation. thought Snacks would really help out the Lions. Uh, it's crazy. You see a move like that last week, kind of signals we're in it to win it. And then this week, it's kind of like, eh, we're giving up on the year, selling, selling away tape. Not really sure what you're doing, Detroit. One more guy I wanted to talk about, Eli Apple. Traded from the Giants also to the New Orleans Saints, though. Uh, New Orleans Saints were looking for some secondary help. They had Patrick Peterson in their sights, but they have to settle for Eli Apple. That's a tough settle right there. Um, I actually do think this is a good situation for Eli, though. You're going to a team where you're playing with Marshawn Lattimore, Von Bell. I know they got a couple other Ohio State guys. So you're in a friendly situation with players that you've played with before. Um, I know he's kind of had the immaturity problems in the Giants. I think this is something that can really be helped out with winning and former teammates in New Orleans. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this works for him there. All right, told you guys we would talk about the Broncos. So here we go. Um, gosh, man, I can't even begin to express my disappointment with this team this year. Sitting at 3-5 and five after eight weeks is definitely not where I pictured them being. Um, and it's crazy. It all goes back to the first game against the Chiefs on Monday night, beginning of October. Not even that. It goes to one throw. The missed throw to Demarius Thomas in the corner of the end zone, driving to win the game. That throw, you hit that throw, and it's crazy to look back and see what could be. You would be 3-1 and one at that point. Who knows? You maybe don't beat the Jets still traveling out east. But maybe you have that added confidence and you kind of perk up and play the Jets well. Maybe you perk up and play the Rams well. Uh, you beat the Cardinals. You were gonna, I think they were going to beat the Cardinals regardless. They should beat the Cardinals regardless. If they lost that game to the Cardinals, they were in real trouble. But you hung in there against the Chiefs again. Um, obviously showing it wasn't a fluke that you hung in there the first time. You just didn't make the play to win the game. Uh, Case has not been playing well. That, that throw, it just shows... That Case is not the guy that can, I don't think he's the guy that can carry you. He's not the guy that the Broncos want him to be. And you're paying him $18 million. $18 million really doesn't seem like a much for quarterbacks now. But it, it just hurts to know that this is what $18 million buys now in the NFL, which is still not a very good quarterback. 
Um, we got a game against the Texans coming up. I don't think they'll be able to win this one. Um, that puts you at three and six at the break. You got to buy the week after that. I don't know if that's enough to get Vance Joseph fired, but I do think it's coming. Um, you look at the December games around San Francisco, Cleveland. You have a three-game stretch. It goes at San Francisco against Cleveland at home, and then you go to Oakland to play the Raiders. Three very winnable games. If Vance Joseph comes out of this one and two, or even hopefully not zero and three, I think that would be enough to get him fired before season's end. Um, obviously, if he's able to kind of win a bit, keep this team around five hundred. I don't know if that'll be good enough to keep him on. Uh, I know Elway's feeling the heat. The whole kind of organization is really in a free fall right now, and I think it starts with getting Vance Joseph out of there. you got to get a quarterback, too. Um, there's just so much that has to be done at this team, which is crazy because there are good players on both sides of the ball. This team should be winning more than they are. It's frustrating to watch every week. Um, so we'll see how things really shake up for Joseph Elway and the Broncos at this point. Let's talk some Jets, though. We'll get some Jets talking uh, for Johnny's side of things. Really good year for the Jets so far, I think, in terms of uh, expectations. Um, you weren't really expecting a lot, but you find yourself also at 3-5 and five here. Uh, you got a game against the Dolphins in Miami coming up. Should be a tough one. They played Miami tough the first time, uh, lost 20-12, to 12, but we'll see. Darnold is the real deal, though. Uh, the issue with the Jets, though, I can't speak enough on Bowles to say that he shouldn't be the head coach. But you look at the landscape of the NFL and how offensive it is and how teams like the Rams went out and got a Sean McVay to match their shiny new quarterback in Jared Goff. How Kyle Shanahan went and got his guy in Jimmy Garoppolo. It's becoming more and more a head coach and quarterback league as if it wasn't enough already. It's become even more so the past couple of years with the advancements in scoring, the rule changes to allow for more scoring and more passing. That being said, you got this brand new toy in Darnold. You got to get yourself a coach that can really not just mentor the guy, but help bring him along and teach him how to play in this league. He really has looked good, though. Uh, the turnovers haven't been as much of a problem as I thought they would be. Coming into the season, he seems like he got that fumbling problem fixed. Wasn't really anything to worry about to begin with, I didn't think. Um, but he's been up and down. He's a rookie. Uh, what else do you expect from the guy? Um, the thing is, though, the main difference between the Jets and the Broncos is they got a guy, though. Um, they got someone to build around. They got someone to believe in. Broncos don't have that. Um, with the Jets having that, they're obviously at a much different 3-5 and five than the Broncos are. Um you know, you're not expecting much. Maybe you can sneak into the wild card race here. But I wouldn't expect it. I mean, you still got to play the Pats twice. You have to play the Texans. You have to play the Packers. You got to go play the Titans also. So some tough games coming up. You do get Buffalo twice in there. So those are winnable games. It's going to be an uphill battle, I think, for the just to get the 8-8, eight and eight, though, at this point. Originally thought they would get to that. Uh, we'll see. But you've got the pieces in place. Now you need another draft of adding defensive talent and building around Darnold. Next year will be the year for the Jets that we could potentially see great progress. All right, let's move on uh, a step down a bit. Let's talk some college football. First college football playoff ranking came out tonight. Um, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. Uh, you guys can look that up. Um, just some teams that caught my eye. 
we'll, we'll, we'll talk through the top six first. Um, so your first four, it's going to be Alabama at one, Clemson two, LSU at three. Bit, bit puzzling. We'll get to that in a second. Notre Dame at four, the Michigan Wolverines at five, and Georgia Bulldogs at six. That is your playoff picture. Um, some teams to look at down low here. Virginia, they put Virginia in at 25. And then they put at 24, the 4-3 Iowa State Cyclones. Kind of a sneaky team there. Um, I think a bit better than their record. They play really good football. Uh, really fun football. Big 12 football, obviously. So it's going to be a lot of airing out. Not much defense. Um, but a solid team. They have obviously given teams, they beat Oklahoma. Um, they've been in games all year. They've been giving big... Uh, well, they didn't lose to Oklahoma this year. They lost Oklahoma, or they beat Oklahoma last year. Um, had the big win against West Virginia this year. Sorry. So you are playing these big teams. You are hanging in there. Um, just saw that. Feel like I just, felt like I should have shouted out uh, Iowa State as well. We'll mention Johnny Syracuse Orange at nineteen six and two. Got a huge, huge game later in the season if everything stays the way it is against Notre Dame. Um, we'll get to that in a second too when we talk Notre Dame schedule. Alabama at number one. Did anyone is anyone surprised really? I mean, their heads, shoulders, torso, and feet above the rest of the college football scene. Um, I think this might be Alabama's best team. Not because not just because of Tua and the incredible stuff he does, but just overall the offensive line is unreal. You got two backs that can run the ball as well as anyone. You got skill position players. You got a tight end. You got the front front seven on defense. You got the, probably one of the best secondaries in the nation. I think this might be Saban's best team. How can you not put him at one? Number two, Clemson. Um, Clemson's really, I think, kind of come on. You know, you had this situation with Bryant and uh, Trevor Lawrence back and forth early in the year. And then you had the transfer. Um, once that happened, I think Trevor Lawrence obviously kind of settled in he, when he knew it was his team. You've kind of started to see this guy shine a bit more now. Uh, last week with a huge game against Florida State, this guy tore the Seminoles up. Oh, my gosh. 20 of 37, 314 yards, and four touchdowns. True freshman. And some of these balls that this guy is slinging, they are beautiful footballs. Uh, he hit T. Higgins in stride on a beautiful long touchdown in that game. Clemson's the real deal this year. They may not be the elite class that Alabama is in. Alabama's just in a class of themselves. But Clemson will be right below that in an elite number two class. Uh, the surprise of the top um, of the playoff scene, though, is the LSU Tigers at three, seven and one over Notre Dame. You know, I don't know if that's just to gas up the Alabama LSU game that's happening this weekend. Obviously, a huge game for the playoff implications and both team seasons. Um, so it is going to sort itself out. Who knows if they do win? I mean, you could maybe see a shot up to one for them. Uh, wouldn't be surprised by that. But if they lose, I don't think you can really penalize them too much. It's freaking Alabama. Um, they're incredible. You're, you're not going to beat them, I don't think. I think the spread's around 13 and a half, 14. Um, I don't think it's going to be that close at all. I think Alabama's going to run, run away with it. The first two teams out, though, Michigan and Georgia. Um, obviously, I'm a big Michigan fan. Um, we'll talk a bit about the Wolverines here. You know, that loss to Notre Dame, it's... It starts to look better every week, obviously, the more Notre Dame wins. But I just can't help but think. You take that game. It's, it's the first game of the year. You know, you've got a new quarterback coming in. You got 
a lot of returning starters on defense, but you got some shift, shifting on the offensive line. Uh, you lose Tariq Black before that, so you don't really know what's going to be happening at wide receiver in week one. Um, if that game is played week two or three instead of week one, I think Michigan might end up winning that. Um, but also on the other side, you can say if you're Notre Dame, well, we didn't have Book in there. So it works both ways, I suppose. Still, you only lost a seven against the Irish on the road. Not a bad loss. You keep on winning, though. That's the key for Michigan. You got to keep on winning. Um, big games against Wisconsin and Michigan State. You got a big game this weekend against Penn State. Uh, personally, I think Michigan will win that game as well. The defense is playing on another level this year. Shea Patterson's been unreal, too. The past couple weeks, he's really been the difference, um, not only between the teams they've been playing, but between this Michigan team and last year's Michigan team. The playmaker at quarterback, it just makes everyone's job easier. It makes the defense's job easier. It makes the running back's job easier. It makes the line's job easier. Um, he had big plays on the, on the ground and throwing the football against Wisconsin and Michigan State. Michigan doesn't win those two games without Shea Patterson. I think that'll probably be the case again this weekend against Penn State. He's got to make some plays to win that game, and I think he will make some plays, and Michigan will come out victorious. Obviously, the big game at the end of the year is against Ohio State. Ohio State this year, I think, is a bit down, though, in terms of their defensive talent and just the noise going around that program with Urban Meyer and everything. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how their season ends, um, whether they end up losing to Michigan and if that causes some fallout. Who knows? Uh, the defense, though, that loss to Purdue was pretty embarrassing. Purdue's for, for real, by the way. Let's give them their moment. Uh, Rondale Moore is one of the most electrifying players in college football. If you haven't watched Purdue yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go watch this Purdue football team play. They're very exciting. I know they put up a stinker against Michigan State last weekend, but this team can score with almost anyone in the nation. Uh, they move the, the ball up and down the field on offense. They got a bowling ball at running back. Rondale Moore returning kicks, playing offense. He's putting up 200 all-purpose yard games. Defense actually has some guys in the front seven, too. They're a nice football team. You wouldn't be disappointed watching a Purdue football game this year. Back to Michigan-Ohio State. Those defensive problems, though, I think obviously play in Michigan's favor. Uh, the Michigan defense has been unreal. I think it can be enough to stop Dwayne Haskins um, and Weber and Dobbins. But Shea Patterson, again, will be the difference. If he can be the guy that separates this team you're going to see this team playing in the Big Ten Championship for its first time with a win over Ohio State for the first time since 2011. Shea Patterson, unreal so far. Keep it moving. Georgia Bulldogs, number six. You take the hard L to LSU a couple weeks ago, but they showed a really resilient win against Florida last weekend. Um, you know, LSU is a tough football team. I do think they're a lot better this year. Crazy to me, though, that you have Jake Fromm and all these weapons, and you can't put up more than, I think they only put up like 16 on LSU. Um, I know LSU's got the, the guys up front and everything, but man, that, that was surprising to watch. I still think they're a good, uh, good football team, though, um, or a playoff caliber team, I should say. Big game against Kentucky, a top 10 matchup, actually, between the Kentucky Wildcats. Who would have thought that coming into the year? So we'll see how that plays out. Fromm's a stud, though. I got to talk about this guy. I got to gush real quick. I'm a huge Jake Fromm fan. I think this guy could potentially be the best quarterback in the nation next year when, if he decides to come out. Um, speaking of that, the 2019 quarter, or the 2020 quarterback class is going to be unreal. 
Tua, you got Herbert and Fromm at the top of the draft. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Could be as good as uh, last year's draft class. Anyways, big matchup against Kentucky, the fighting Benny Snells. Uh, Benny Snell's been unreal for the Kentucky Wildcats, leading them to 7-1. Josh Allen on defense, too. Uh, so Kentucky's got some guys. It's been a while since we could say that about Kentucky. You know, you had the tough loss to A&M a couple weeks ago, but they have beat Mississippi State. They have beat Florida. So this team is a bit for real, I believe. Um, can they beat Georgia, though? I don't think so. I think Georgia will outclass them on defense and offense and ultimately run away with this one. Um, you have Oklahoma sitting at seven. You know, Kyler Murray's still doing some things there. Uh, we'll get to him a bit later. At number eight, though, Washington State. Wazoo, Mike Leach, bringing the Cougars into the top ten. Um, been pretty pretty crazy to watch this team. You had the big win against Oregon a couple weeks ago. A close one against Stanford last weekend. Uh, Mike Leach all of a sudden has his team in the top ten in the nation. Um, you got a game against Washington to end the season, obviously, coming up. That'll be the big one, but it uh, seems like the Pac-12's last hope is surprisingly not Washington, as we thought in the preseason. It's going to be Washington State. Crazy how college football works out. Already hit Kentucky. Um, mentioned Florida a bit. Mentioned Ohio State a bit. We'll stop here at number 12. Uh, UCF, 7-0. I just got to get this off my chest here. This team, they're not making the playoffs. We'll get. Let's just say it. They're not making the playoffs. They're not a good enough team to make the playoffs, and they don't deserve to make the playoffs. Look at their schedule and look at any other top 25 team schedule. It's obviously who it's obvious who is playing the weaker teams. Um, UCF's best game is a canceled game against North Carolina. That's pretty crazy. So don't fool yourself again this year. I mean, last year, obviously different circumstances, a lot better team with some NFL talent. They did beat Auburn, although Auburn last year, uh, I mean, they did beat Bama, but I mean, Personally, I wasn't too impressed with the Auburn win. Um, it's just a bowl win. I mean, these things happen in bowl games. They're more unpredictable than week one of the season, I believe. So don't put too much stock into UCF. Don't get too excited about UCF. It's not going to happen this year. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it's just not going to happen. All right, that's your championship picture. Um, move on to our last little segment here. Let's talk about the Heisman. Now, I wanted to talk about this because... Uh, it seems to me that there hasn't really been a breakaway Heisman guy this year. I know a lot of people are going to point to Tua. Um, he's probably leading the Heisman watch. He is on ESPN, actually. But it's tough for me. I, I, I don't know if I had a Heisman vote. I would give it to a player who, on an 8-0 and team, hasn't played in the fourth quarter. Also, this team would probably, let's be honest, they'd be 8-0 and without Tua. If Jalen Hurts has played all eight games... They're probably sitting in the same situation that they are today. We'll see how the game on Saturday works out. Um, the toughest test of the year so far. But if Tua can really shine and have his Heisman moment, I might be eating my words come Saturday. At this point, I'm not too impressed, though. I mean, I am impressed with Tua, but as a Heisman Trophy winner, I don't think he's a clear runaway favorite. Let's talk about the other guys, though. We'll just read through the list real quick. Kyler Murray, quarterback, Oklahoma. You got Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, Ohio State. Gardner Minshew, quarterback, Washington State. Travis Etienne, running back, Clemson. That's someone that we got to talk about. Ed Oliver, defensive tackle, Houston. Will Greer, quarterback, West Virginia. Derek King, quarterback, Houston. 
Mackenzie Milton, quarterback UCF, Josh Allen, linebacker Kentucky, and Trace McSorley, quarterback Penn State. Pretty crazy Houston's got two guys in this uh, little side note. Obviously dominated by the quarterbacks. Pretty surprising to see only one running back, though. A lot of good running backs this year. Um, I think Benny Snell's getting snubbed here a little bit, although he did kind of, didn't really show up as much in that one loss. That really is kind of hurting him, I think. But Travis Etienne, this guy has really exploded onto the scene. It's kind of been a godsend for them in a way. Uh, you're going through that tough quarterback situation. You don't really know what's going on. So you come out against Syracuse, and all he does is rush for 27 times for 200 yards and three touchdowns. After that, he followed up with another three touchdowns at Wake Forest and another three touchdowns against NC State. We talked about the Florida State game against Clemson a bit earlier. Um, this game really killed ETN's chances at winning the Heisman, I think, though. Only 10 attempts for 45 yards, no touchdowns. Um, I actually did the game for work. He did not look bad. It, it's just that it was one of those weird games where Clemson's so much better than Florida State that I think they kind of got ahead of the, ahead of them a bit. I don't want to say faster than they thought, but it got out of hand really quickly. Uh, the first quarter was actually really close, and then the second quarter, Clemson just kind of exploded. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence was dealing the ball all around. They had a running back rotation going. It was just tough for him to get some work that day. I really love Travis Etienne as a prospect, though. He's someone. I think he's a true sophomore, so we can't really talk about him this year. But next year, he's one of those guys that will be on the Heisman list again going into 2019 and is someone that will garner some huge draft stock praise in the coming year. Talk about the other players, though, in this Heisman watch. Um, you know, if I had to give it to a guy, I think I would give it to Kyler Murray, though. You know, Dwayne Haskins, I'm not convinced at all that you're Heisman material. Sorry. Gardner Minshew, this is a guy I also want to watch. Kind of reminds me of Baker Mayfield in a way, how he kind of put Washington or uh, Oklahoma on his shoulders. I think Gardner could kind of do the same thing for Washington, Washington State, and elevate himself in the Heisman standing doing that. Um, you got a big game against uh, Washington to end the year. Look for that to maybe be his Heisman moment. The other guys, I mean, you got Ed Oliver and Josh Allen. Uh, defensive players just aren't going to win the Heisman. We'll just stop that right there. Um, De'Eric King, Mackenzie Melton, group of five quarterback, not going to win the Heisman. Trace McSorley, Penn State, uh, a guy a lot of people had coming into the year winning the Heisman. Um, hasn't really been as good as many thought he could be. Um, you know, it's tough. You don't have Saquon back there anymore. What can you say? Uh, still a pretty good college quarterback, though. Um, yeah, just college quarterback. We're not even going to, this NFL talk, we'll get to it eventually, I guess, but not really on my radar as an NFL quarterback. Um, don't really think he's on the national radar either. So yeah, uh, just been kind of a weird year for Heisman. Just wanted to talk about that, get that out there. Anyways, the guy I would put my vote towards is Kyler Murray, I think. Um, he's just incredible to watch. And obviously, he's the athlete that everyone expected him to be at quarterback, getting drafted top 10 in baseball draft this year. Hasn't really kind of bakered it like Baker did last year, putting the team on his back. Uh, Baker did have a lot of help last year too. But if Kyler Murray can kind of shake off that loss earlier to Texas and really keep it going for the Sooners. You know, you run through that Big 12, win your Big 12 championship game. Um, just keep winning. Be there at the end. Force them to keep talking about you every week in the playoffs. That would be Kyler's ticket, I think, to a Heisman. 
all right uh that's gonna do it for me wow we went about 40 minutes there um you know thank you guys so much for listening i know it was an abrupt stop to our podcast and we don't have many listeners but to those that do consistently listen uh thank you so much um as always hit us up on twitter and instagram at east first west pod you can hit us up individually on twitter uh johnny's at jhrich11 um i'm at jake schwan it's just my name so uh, feel free to send us questions, uh, anything about the pod, whatever you guys want to talk about. I mean, we love chatting this stuff up, so you're not going to get any blocks from us or anything. Um, I've been in talks with Johnny. I think we're going to try and get something together on Friday. Um, I don't want to promise anything, but we are working towards something on Friday. Uh, who knows? Maybe if he doesn't uh, really show up and we can't get another one going, maybe I'll try and throw another solo pod together for you guys. Um, it's actually been quite fun, even though I'm sitting here talking to myself like a crazy guy. Anyways, with that, I'm going to get out of here. Thanks again, guys. Bye.